0: Welcome. We are glad that you have chosen to join us here on Brit David Podcast as we continue our study through Revelation. Today, Revelations chapter 4, 2 through 11, a sneak peek into the throne room in heaven. What is the first thing we see when we get to heaven? The Bible indicates that we will be in the glorious throne room of heaven first. In this message, we get a sneak peek into the throne room in heaven. Here's Pastor Tim. Revelation chapter 4, I hope you have
1: your Bible, you go ahead and turn there with me this morning. Last week, as we were looking at, kind of got a sneak peek of heaven itself, uh, we were able to kind of just get a barely, just a littlest of glimpses at the throne itself. And so today, I want us to dig into that just a little bit deeper and sort of get a sneak peek into heaven itself, I mean, into that throne room of heaven itself today. So as we do, let me, uh, let me go ahead and just kind of, let's set a time frame. Let's do that because uh, chapter number four begins by saying, after these things. So if I'm trying to fit this somewhere in some kind of timeline, then I want to go back to chapter one. If you want to turn there, you can. Uh, verse number 19 is the verse that I want us to look at. It's in verse number 19 of the first chapter where John sort of outlines the book for us. What's the, what is this book of Revelation like? How do you outline it? And he says this, Jesus is talking, he says, Write the things which you have seen, the things which are, and the things which will take place after this. That's your threefold outline. When he says, write the things which you have seen, he's talking about chapter 1 and he's talking about John's glimpse of Jesus. He gets to see Jesus in his glory. He gets to see Jesus revealed purely. It's an amazing first chapter as he talks about seeing the risen Lord. And then he says, and the things which are which is sort of a diagnosis of where the church is. He's talking about the church itself, and so it's chapters 2 and 3. Jesus looks at the churches, specifically those seven churches, and says, this is the state of the church. This is how things really are. And then he says, and write what comes after these things. And then we notice that chapter 4 begins by saying, after these things. So after these things being what it's after the church. So if we're trying to see a timeline, what is it that we're really talking about? We're talking about the rapture. I mean, we're talking about that time where Jesus comes back for his church and snatches them away you would expect maybe, as you look into the book of Revelation, to find a lengthy discussion on what the rapture is and what it looks like. And there's really not a lot that you find in the book of Revelation. Instead, you find Paul talking about that at length, like in passages like 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. When I begin to put that here, I think that's where that fits. I think chapter number 4 and verse number 1 is not a direct detail of what the rapture is. I think it's more of an illusion. It's a, a picture. It just points in time for us. This is when the rapture takes place. Let me show you what I mean. If you're back in chapter 4, verse number 1, he says, After these things I looked, and behold, a, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, which sounds an awful lot like you find in First Thessalonians chapter 4. And notice what he says, come up here, come up here. That come up and being caught up, that's where we get our word rapture. You don't even really find the word rapture in the Bible. It's a Latin word, rapturo, which means to be caught up. So for John to hear the Lord saying, come up here, that's, I think that is the rapture. He says, I will show you the things which must take place after this, after I take the church away. Now, I say all that to say this. One, to give us a time frame of exactly where we are in this passage. But we understand that be it by death or be it by rapture for the believer, to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. My last breath here is my first breath there. My last step here is a step over into my first step there. I am immediately in the presence of God. But the question is, where where do I go? You know, I mean, we talk about going to heaven, but but where in heaven am I supposed to be? If we were looking last week at one of those cities in heaven, how, how, how do I know exactly where I'm supposed to show up? This is where you show up. You show up in the throne room of heaven. So the very first thing that you get to see is the throne and the one who's seated on the throne. There are five specific things I want to show you in this throne room today. And the first one is the most important. It's the person. It's the person on the throne. And I want you to see today, the person on the throne is Christ. Look, if you will, in verse number 2. He says, immediately. You know, that's I mean, that's just how it is, right? The twinkling of an eye. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven. So there's the throne. But more importantly, he says, and one, maybe your Bible's like mine, you've got a capital O there, right? And one sat on the throne. Well, who is that one? I mean, it's easy for me to just tell you, this is Jesus. But let me show you what I mean by that. Let's keep going. Look, if you will, in verse number three. He describes him in these kind of terms. He says, he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardius stone in appearance. So the one who's sitting there is one who is glorious, one who is magnificent, one who shines in great brilliance, but who shines in two specific ways. He says, one, he is like a jasper stone. Now when we think of jasper, sometimes we think of that translucent green. But if you remember from last week, when we were talking about heaven itself, and the Bible describes the Jasper that's there, he says in chapter 21 that this jasper is clear as crystal. In other words, he's describing what we understand more like a diamond. A diamond that is cut, a diamond with its facets, a diamond in all of its clarity and cut, all those C's, you know, that you go looking for when you shop for a ring. That, you know, you're looking for the best of the best, and that's what you have you have this diamond like character clear as crystal now all of these things there's so much symbolism that you find in chapter number 4 what is that symbolic of it's symbolic of purity isn't it a purity of righteousness of holiness so the one who is sitting on the throne is sitting on the throne because he is worthy he is worthy because he is holy he is righteous He is the pure one. He is the one in whom there is no blemish, there is no sinfulness. He is the fully perfect righteous one. But the one who's sitting on the throne does not always just simply appear as a jasper stone clear as crystal. He also says that he appears as a sardius stone. sardius stone is blood red. Anybody want to venture a guess as to what that's supposed to represent? This one who is perfect, this one who is holy, this one who knows no sin, became sin for me, died on a cross because of the penalty of that sin, shed his own blood. And remember, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness, there is no remission of sin. So this one now who's seated on the throne is there in his holiness, but he's also there as my Savior, having given himself for me. Listen, can you imagine for a moment stepping out of this life and immediately, remember it says immediately, immediately you are standing before the throne of God and Christ is there. Man, there's, there's a part of me that just shivers to stand before this holy God. There's so many times through the book of Revelation that John is told, fear not. Fear not, don't be afraid. As you walk into the presence of the Lord, as righteous and redeemed, you don't walk into that throne room fearful. You walk into that throne room secure. You walk into that throne room because you belong to Him. You're there with Him. You are perfectly at ease in the presence of the Holy One. How do you know that? Let's keep reading. All right, let's keep going. Verse number four. No, I'm sorry, verse number three. I didn't even finish that yet. He says, and there was a rainbow around the throne. Now listen, when I think about a rainbow, if I said that there were a rainbow up here around me, you would probably expect an ark that started somewhere over here and it went all the way over here across, all the way over here where I guess there's a pot of gold down, down here. We'll wait for offering time. It's over here. You know. That's what we think about with a, uh, with a rainbow. But you know, if you are even on the uh, International Space Station, somewhere you're looking down on the earth from above, rainbows aren't arcs. Rainbows aren't even, I mean, you might expect it to look like a straight line from up there. That's not what it looks like. You know what it is? It's a circle. This rainbow, notice he says it is not over the throne. You know, we're not not Dorothy singing about over the rainbow. You know, it's not over the throne. What's it say? It is around the throne. This rainbow is circular. This rainbow is, is circular because circles remind us of eternity. They don't have beginning, they don't have end. But look at what is eternal that God's trying to communicate. Look at the end of verse number four. This rainbow, when I think of a rainbow, I think of Roy G. Biv. You know what I'm talking about, right? Red, orange, yellow, green, you know, all, the, all those colors. Think of all those colors. That's not what this rainbow looks like. He says, this rainbow is an appearance like an emerald. Green. Maybe shades of green, I don't know, but it's green. Why green? Because guess what green represents? Life. A circle that's green, then, is what? It's eternal life. When I step into the presence of the Holy One, my natural reaction is to be filled with fear. But then I'm reminded immediately just by looking at him that this is the one who died for me. This is the one who takes his own personal righteousness and imputes it to me so that I can stand before him. And he encircles me and engulfs me with eternal life. I stand there absolutely secure. And it is. The person on the throne is Christ. There's more to, there's more to see even though you kind of want to hang out right there, don't we? All right, let's go. Number two. I want you to see that the people around the throne are the church. The people around the throne are the church. We get to verse number four, we begin, we, we, we're introduced to some people, and, that, and I want to use that word specifically. Notice what he says. Around the throne, around the throne, <clears throat> I lost my place, Were 24 thrones. So there are 24 other thrones, little thrones, that are around there. And then notice who's sitting on these thrones. He says, and on those thrones I saw 24 elders sitting clothed in white robes and they had crowns of gold on their heads. So you look at that and you begin to ask yourself, uh, or at least I asked, <laughs> I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. One would be, who are they? you know Paul uh, uh, John uses the word elders it's the word presbyteros you hear the word presbyterian in there presbyterian elders if you will they they are the pastors they are the representatives of the church and so when John uses that word here just as he uses that word in other epistles it tells me then that these are representatives of the church Are they angels? No. I don't don't think that they're angels. It says here that they are, in verse number 4, that they are clothed in white robes. That they have crowns of gold on their head. You don't see descriptions of angels like that. In fact, later on, they're going to be singing. And it's the song of the redeemed that they sing. You know what the Bible says about angels and redemption, right? It says that that's something that they long to look into. They, they want to know and they want to understand redemption, but they can't. They certainly don't understand it the way that you and I do. So I don't think these are angels at all. I, and I don't think that they are some kind of symbols. I don't, I don't think it's just a symbol that's here. You know, verse number five, it begins by saying, from the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. So they are talking, they're singing. they're doing, they, That's not a symbol, is it? I think these are real, genuine people. So some will look and say, "Well, who are they?" And, and and they'll come to think, "Well, since they're twenty-four, then they are twelve from the Old Testament, twelve from the New Testament. They are the twelve tribe, the twelve sons of Israel, and then they are the twelve apostles." I mean, it, the numbers fit, but I don't I don't think that that's who that is. I do think that they're two groups. I think that it's 24 specifically, and I think it's twice 12, if you know what I mean. Why 24? 24 becomes a number that speaks of authority. 12 is the number for God's government, if you will. Uh, uh, 4 is the earth number. 3 is the divine number. 3 times 4 is 12. That's how you get it. So you're talking about God's rule on earth. Remember Jesus praying and saying, Your kingdom come, your will be done. That's what's finally happening here in the book of the Revelation. Those things are there. So, so you've got, I, I think that you do have twice twelve, but who are the two groups of twelve? Remember he says, after these things, I think it's a direct result of the rapture. Two groups that are raptured up. You remember who they are? He says, first, they're those who sleep in Jesus. He says, remember, those who have died, those who have died in Christ, those loved ones that you have, he says, they've not missed out. They're going to go first. When the Lord comes back, they are going to immediately come up and those spirits that are now in heaven are are, are reunited with their bodies, made into a glorified body, right? Then secondly, those of us who are alive and remain will be called up together to meet the Lord in the air. I think that's your two groups. Those who are dead in Christ and those who are alive and remain. Those are the ones. So that means then that when I enter into the throne room of God, I'm immediately seeing the throne and I'm immediately seeing Christ seated there in his exaltation, in his resurrection, in his glory. And at some point, when I can finally take my eyes off of him and look around, I see myself represented. I'm represented there. I have a, we talk about having a seat at the table, right? Have a seat. I have a place. It means then that for heaven is a place of belonging for me. I belong here. This is where I this is what I've been made for all along. I have been made to be with him. Forever and forever and forever. And now that I'm finally here, there would be plenty of people who look back at my past and say, Tim, you don't belong here. And yet I look around and what I see is, is I absolutely do belong here. We ourselves get represented there. Let me show you a third thing. I want you to see the promoter. The promoter of the throne is the comforter. Let me, let me step back into the Gospel of John with you for a moment. John chapter 14, and we've mentioned this now these last several weeks, you know, Jesus has said a number of things there in John chapter 14. One of them is this. He says, I will pray the Father, and he will send you another comforter. And the word another is the word which means another of the same kind, one of the same nature. So in other words, Jesus is saying, I'm going to send someone who is just like me. I'm going to send someone who is just as much God as I am God. And he refers to him as the Comforter. Now, there's a number of names that the Holy Spirit goes by. In fact, here in Revelation chapter 4, you see a very unique name. We saw it in the first chapter, and now you get to see it here again in the fourth chapter. Look, if you will, in verse number 5, after he talks about the lightnings, the thunder, and the voices. He says, there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne. And he identifies it for us. He says, which are... The seven spirits of God. Now, seven does not mean at this point, remember we're talking about some symbolism here, especially in these numbers. So he's not looking and going one spirit, two spirit, three spirit, four spirit, all the way up to seven spirit. That's not what he's doing. In other words, he's using seven with its symbolism. Seven is the perfect number. It's the number of perfection. It's the number of fulfillment. It's the number of completion. And so what he's saying is that before the throne, right there, right in front, is the perfect, complete, whole Godhead, the fullness of the Holy Spirit is there. Now why? Why would he be there? Why why would he be there in front of the throne? There are a couple of things we're going to look at in this chapter that take us back into the Old Testament. A number of things to revelation that keep taking us back there. And one of our stops has to be the temple. There There's so many things that the temple prepared those people for that they would see in heaven one day. For example, what's the centerpiece of the temple? Right there in the middle of the Holy of Holies is the Ark of the Covenant, right? The Ark of the Covenant was to represent for those people the personal presence of God atop the Ark of the Covenant, the lid, if you will, was the mercy seat. And if you recall, the high priest, once a year, would take that slain Lamb's blood, go into the Holy of Holies, and take that blood and pour it on top of the mercy seat, and let it run down on the presence It was the the way of reminding them that forgiveness is coming, but it's coming through the shedding of blood of the Messiah, of the perfect, spotless Lamb of God. That's That's what it was to communicate to them. Holy of Holies, Ark of the Covenant with the mercy seat. Guess what's right in front of the Ark of the Covenant? It's the lampstand. The lampstand is there for this reason. It throws light onto the ark. It casts light. It illuminates. It, if I can use this word that I've used in your notes, it promotes who Christ is. It's continually showing who He is. Now, I said in John chapter 14, Jesus said, I'm going to send you another helper. In John chapter 15, he talked about about the Holy Spirit. And he said, the Holy Spirit will testify of me. In John chapter 16, he said, the Holy Spirit will glorify me. The Holy Spirit's role continually is to cast light on Jesus in this life and in the next. And so what do you see? You get to the throne room. There's the throne. And there's the one who's seated on the throne. And there's the rainbow and, and there are the 24 elders that are gathered around. Man, there is this blinding light right in front. that's doing what? That is casting light, illuminating the throne, illuminating the one who's seated on the throne. And notice what happens. Look, if you will, there in verse number 6. Before the throne, there was a sea of glass like crystal. Now, What happens when you take that light, you shine that light brightly and directly on a finely cut diamond, on a finely cut crystal? What happens to the light? It radiates, doesn't it? That's what you see. We get to go and see the Shekinah glory of God radiating everywhere, illuminating the whole place. No wonder there's no need for the sun and the moon. It is the glory of God that illuminates the whole place. And what is the source? The source is the throne right where Christ is seated. And it's giving light to all of creation that's left. The promoter is the comforter. It's the Holy Spirit.
0: Join us tomorrow as Pastor Tim shares the conclusions to the message. A sneak peek into the throne room in heaven. Pastor Tim would love to connect and share with you about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and how you can know that you know that Jesus is your Savior and Lord. The address is church Office at Britdavid.org. We are located at 2801 West Britt David Road, Columbus, Georgia, 31909. Thanks again for joining us here on Brit David Podcast.